we are going to do three parables today that are linked together in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Three parables. Uh, they're separated by the, the break at the end of Matthew 24, but theologians tell us that they were originally given uh, together by Jesus, uh, and they all relate to the issue of faithfulness and the responsibility to always be prepared, be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Now, in these parables, Jesus speaks about the return of the Lord, return of the Lord, being prepared for the return of the Lord, and that's absolutely key for all of us. But here's the thing. Most of us in this room probably will be called to heaven before Jesus comes back, and that's the return you have to be concerned with. Are you ready individually to go and meet Christ, irrespective of whether it's before or after. And so that's what this is about today. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready uh, to have the kind of life that you've lived be examined and to, to defend uh, the kind of issues that Christ wants you to have? Uh, and so these three parables deal with faithfulness, faithfulness. Uh, it's the wise and the evil servant, uh, the wise uh, and foolish bridesmaids, and the parable of the talents all linked together, all given really at the same time by Christ. They make a simple point about the importance of faithfulness and the readiness to be there at the appropriate time when Christ comes back. Uh, now, Jesus is demonstrating to his disciples uh, that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. And this is one of the things that I find so fascinating. Event, you know, you'll always find some televangelist or some speaker on television tell you that they've had a dream or a prophecy that Christ is going to come back on this date. Well, here's the one thing I can tell you. Whatever that date is, guaranteed that's not the date, okay? That's not the date because Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. So if someone claims he knows the day or the hour, well, then you can take that to the bank. That's not the date or the hour. Jesus said when he walked in, the, in this world, he didn't know it himself. The angels don't know it. Only the Father knew it. So uh, understood if that's the issue, and that's how, how we operate, we don't know the date. But at the same time, we know that we need to be prepared. We live each day as if it's our last. Each day as if we're ready to to accept Jesus uh, in, in his return to us. And, and in Matthew 24, verse 36, right before the parables, it says there that Jesus said, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Is that good enough for you? The angels don't know it. When Jesus walked in this world, he didn't know it as he walked in this world. He knows where it is now. Uh, but in that human condition that he was here, he did not know it. And so these three parables will stress the importance of faithfulness every day uh, and being prepared for the return of the Lord. That's what this is about. That's what Christ emphasized. Uh, and, and so even as Jesus left no room for speculation about what his return was, he said at the same time, be not troubled. Be not troubled. Don't let that be a burden to your life. You know, you be prepared. You live your life as I've instructed you to do. And whenever I come back, you will be ready. Uh, and so Jesus is not trying to frighten us. This is not about frightening you. It's really uh, 
a, a whole analysis about being prepared, being ready for his return. Uh, and so it is an, an extensive exhortation by the Lord about remaining faithful. Every day of your life, right unto the end, remaining faithful. And so there are three parables that he gives us about faithfulness. Now, the first in this trio uh, is found in Matthew 24, verse 45. And this is a story that contrasts two servants, one who is faithful and wise and the other who is evil. Uh, the true character of the evil servant is quickly made evident once the master leaves the premises because he tells himself, well, he's gone uh, and he's not going to come back anytime soon and it removes any accountability that this evil servant has. And so if you have your Bibles, read with me as I read Matthew 24, verses 45 to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus never is politically correct. All right, you understand? Jesus isn't worried about getting elected to an office. All right? He's already elected to the highest office there is. Uh, and so with that last sentence there tells you the summation of what happens to people who are evil. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every time Jesus uses that refers to hell. And Jesus referred to hell more than 81 times. So if you have any issue and you don't think there really is a hell, well, then your argument isn't with me, it's with Jesus Christ, because he made it very clear. Um, and here, in this particular uh, parable, the evil servant is a person who has not accepted the Lord. And so you see the contrast between a life lived for Christ, a life lived for God, and a life lived unto oneself. Uh, now, the, 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 the contrast here in this parable is deliberately extreme. It's deliberately extreme, and Jesus intended it for that purpose. The wise and faithful servant understood the master's accountability uh, and, and understood that when the master was absent, he was under greater responsibility to act in accordance with the master. Isn't that the way we're supposed to be? Jesus isn't here right now at this moment. He left 2,000 years ago, but he left us with the Holy Spirit. We are accountable to God. And so even though we can't physically see Jesus, we walk with him through the Holy Spirit. We are accountable. Every second of your life, you are accountable. And if you don't think you're accountable, then you're not paying attention to the word. You're not paying attention to these parables because you are accountable. There will be a day of reckoning. Uh, and so here, this a good servant understood he needed to be conscientious. Uh, he needed to work harder because he knew at the end he would have to give an account. And that's the truth for us. 
at some point in time, you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, you're going to be saved. But even though you're saved, we know from everything that we've studied, we're still going to have a given account to Christ as to how we lived. Uh, and I was saying kind of jokingly this morning, but I meant it seriously, it, it, part of that includes your attendance at church. You understand? Your attendance at church. What are you going to say when you get on the other side to Jesus? Stick your hands in your pocket and say, well, you know, oh, it's hard for me to get up at 9 o'clock in the morning. Hard for me. And when Jesus looks at you and says, yeah, it was hard for me to get on the cross at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and die. What's the response going to be? I know it's hard. This world is hard. Walking in this world is hard, but I want you to recognize that there is an accountability issue. Look, I'm not a fire and brimstone guy. I love you guys, but I have a responsibility to tell you the truth. Church attendance is important. It shows God that I love you, Father. I worship you, Lord. I am committing myself to you even when I'm tired or it's not convenient. Or I have, dare I say, guests. Oh, that's the other thing. I have guests. You know, I, I hear this all the time. Well, I have my children visiting with me uh, from out of town. Uh, you won't see me for a couple weeks. Won't see you for a couple weeks. You understand, what, what kind of lesson are you giving your children? Shouldn't it rather be you say to your kids, it's Sunday morning, I'm getting up, I'm going to church, you're welcome to come with me, but if you're not, I'll be back after church, and then we can have pancakes. This is, this is accountability, folks, all right? This is accountability. Uh, sometimes we have to focus on the very simplest things uh, to emphasize what's our responsibility to God. You're going to have to give an account of your life to Christ. How did you live? Did you live advancing the kingdom of God? Did you live in faithfulness? Uh, or often, even though you were saved, you were away on vacation. We'll call it spiritual vacation. You understand what I'm saying? Spiritual vacation. Step it up, guys. Step it up, ladies. That's what this is about, stepping it up. Uh, and so here, this, this good servant patiently fulfilled the duties uh, that he had with the master. Uh, while the evil one saw it as an opportunity to go permanently on vacation, permanently to do his own thing. He went out, he was drunk, partying, doing his own thing, abandoned all the things that he should have done to advance the master's interest. Uh, and he did whatever his evil heart inclined him to do since he had no sense of accountability. Look, we love the Lord. We serve the Lord because we love him. But at the same time, we know we're accountable. We're accountable. Uh, just like you're accountable to your wife and to your children, ultimately you're accountable to the Lord. And so in this story, when the master suddenly returns, the faithful servant is rewarded beyond his expectation. Rewarded beyond his expectation. And that's how it will be for you when you get on the other side, when you've served God, when you've walked with God, when you've been there, even when you didn't feel great, even the, when there were days that you could have just stayed in bed, but you demonstrated to God, look, God, I'm, I'm committed to you. You're going to be rewarded more than anything that you ever expected. Uh, and in this particular parable that Jesus told, uh, that servant was promoted to the highest position of authority and honor. 
And I'm going to tell you something. God is going to look at you. And we know this, that there are rewards in heaven. And God will give you great responsibility in heaven. Don't ask me how that works. The Bible doesn't tell us. It alludes to that. And so we believe that, all right? Uh, this is a gigantic universe, and we understand that God has his workmanship all over the universe. Uh, and this talks about, effectively, the eternal rewards that await us as Christians. They will reign with Christ in the kingdom of God, all right? So as you're living this world, as you're accountable to Christ in this world, as you're remaining faithful every day, day in, day out, walking with him, uh, exhibiting to the world what it means to be a solid Christian, why people can look at you as you walk in discipleship with Christ. That is the poster child. That life advances the kingdom of God. Now, the evil servant, you see, represents a self-deluded unbeliever. This is the nature of how people who don't believe in God live. They're not caring about God. They're not caring about uh, a future or about accountability. They think they can do their own thing. And this is what happens when you think you can do your own thing. Uh, and, and what you see here is doing your own thing winds up being a weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Jesus makes no bones about it. That's the bottom line. Uh, and, and what happens here is that the master returns sooner than expected. How about that? Sooner than expected. And I would say, you know, I would make that, the analogy today that there could be people who believe this life at a, lot, uh, at a much earlier time than they thought. Not everybody's going to get to 90. And by the way, we have people here who are 90, and when you're 90, now you think that's too soon, right? I understand that. It's, a, you know, now it's like if you don't make it to 100, what happened? The guy, you know, he, he got short-shafted. Uh, but the point is, we don't know what the day or the time is. We don't know how much time we have in this world. Look, we could go out right now in the parking lot and be struck down. We had a brother that had that heart attack. It could have been over for him, but God, in his graciousness, uh, gave him more life. And we have to learn to live like that. And, and so we see that. Here, the master returns sooner than expected. And guess what? The evil guy's not prepared. Oh, if I knew you were coming back, I probably would have cleaned up my life. Yeah, really. You would have cleaned up your life. You're a loser. All right? You've always thought of yourself. You're so self-centered. Uh, never realizing that God is in control of, of everything. Uh, and so this attitude that you see in this parable is emblematic of, of the rank of unbelief found in the world today. This is really what's found in the world uh, and you know those verses in John 3, 16, 17, and 18 relate to that issue, where it talks about the fact that those who have not accepted Christ, have not given their heart to Christ, are already dead walking. They're dead men walking, all right? It's not that God pronounces a judgment. The judgment is there. It's existing. Only when we reach out uh, in salvation and, and, and approach the throne of grace and say, I need a savior, as the lifesaver given to us. So that's the first parable. The second parable Jesus told, in which they're linked together, uh, is the one about the ten bridesmaids. Uh, and I, this was a, one of those parables that when you're growing up, it used to trouble me a little bit. It used to trouble me a little bit. And it's, it's, uh, the first parable makes the point that we must always be ready for the return of Christ. 
the parable uh, of the wise and foolish bridesmaids that follow simply reverses uh, that point. Uh, and it means being ready for him to return at any time being, means not being caught off guard if he does return early. Don't be caught off guard if the master comes back early. Um, and, and look, we have to approach God and Christ uh, as Paul indicated in Romans 13, verse 11. And he, said, and he says this, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You understand what he's saying? Your salvation predicated on the return of God is nearer right now than when you first became saved. Because that right now is closer to when Christ is going to come. Every minute that advances on the clock, it's closer to when Christ will come back. Uh, whether he comes back for the entire world or whether he comes back just for you. Uh, and, and so the understanding of readiness, preparation, diligence, uh, all of that reminds us that we have to be patient in our walk, patient in our exercise, and, and be diligent, faithful no matter how long is the delay. Uh, and, you know, you could have been saved when you were five years old, and now you're 95 years old, and the bottom line is you still have to be patient and prepared for the coming of God. And then I love this verse because it relates to the same issue found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, talking about the fact that when Christ will come back, it'll be almost like a thief in the night. It'll come back, it'll be so shockingly surprising. Uh, and there uh, the word says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. How's that? Okay? You want to know what's going to happen at the end time when Christ comes back? Here it is. That's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to see the entire universe devolve as Jesus comes back as the Lion of Judah on that horse, and we, all of his saints, following along with him in a vast army. What a day that will be. Amazingly. But you see how Peter says, and this is a very important theological point, to God, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. This is why uh, I'm amazed when I see people get wound up uh, on some of the issues about the timing of creation and the Garden of Eden and worried about the world is 6,000 years old. Uh, and, you know, they do that because they've gone back and added up some of the ages of the people that were there. And all I say is, well, how does that juxtapose with this verse that to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day? Meaning God invented time. So you're taking your puny carnal brain 
and you've constructed what you think is time, and you're thinking that God is applying your mechanism of time to your puny brain, not understanding that God looks at us and sees the beginning of time and the end of time all together. It's as if he's watching a parade and he's high enough to see the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade. Do you think God cares about your construction of time? Really? So you've constructed the world as 6,352 years long. I've handed it up. God laughs at that. God laughs at that. I have no idea how old uh, the world is. I have no idea, but what I do know is that a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, and I'll take that to the bank. And you could tell your children that uh, as they go off to college and, uh, and may be pilloried by some of their beliefs. That's, that's a core belief in terms of understanding how God has created us. This is important to understand these things. Don't take your puny mental construction of time and apply it to God. It's irrelevant. That's why we know that God is patient. He's patient because if I were God, this place would have been wiped out 2,000 years ago. I mean, really, seriously. I mean, I, I'm, I would be, I would have cleaned the slate. To the, actually, I would have cleaned it even before then. I would have cleaned it when Moses faced the revolt. That would have been a good time to start, right? Look, I've just taken these people, two million people out of Egypt, and now they're harassing me. They don't like the food. They don't like the food. What is this, a hotel? They don't like the food. Uh, oh, I wish we were back. You know what? And, and, and God says to Moses, step aside, Moses, step aside. Step aside, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start with you. And see, if I were Moses, I would say, yeah, do it. That's good. Because if we started now with me, this whole thing would be a lot better than with these idiots. But God is long-suffering. He is incredibly patient, and he endures, and his timeline is not your timeline. All right? So we don't understand the timeline of God, but we understand that it is of such a nature that it has no connection whatsoever to humanity. None whatsoever. And so now he's telling us, he's preparing us for this story about the bridesmaids in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of God will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise men ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now, let me stop and tell you that this was a problematic parable for me growing up. I thought, well, come on, man. They all went out with lamps. They were all ready to meet, meet the, the groom. All right, some had oil, some didn't have oil, but come on, cut them a break, right? Cut them a break. They had the lamp. Hey, that's not God. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Notice that. They all did. They all did. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some oil for yourselves. Now, of course, this is the middle of the night. 
And while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were already went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. The door was shut. Now, you understand this, that if you had heard this uh, during that period of time, you would not have been shocked because the weddings typically started at night, and they went for multiple days. So it would not be shocking that it started at night. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Whoa, seems a little severe. They went out to meet him, but they didn't have the oil. They thought they could get the oil, but then they couldn't get the oil. And then he came, and the door was shut. And when the door is shut, nobody else owns it. Now, this would not have sounded far-fetched to his disciples. Not at all. Uh, The marriage rituals were complicated during that period of time. They were in three phases, and this was the the last phase. Uh, And it was only after the wedding feast itself that the marriage would be consummated. Uh, And this might come after a year of a betrothal. Uh, And so uh, you had to be prepared. If you knew a wedding was coming, you had to be prepared for the coming. And, And here it's described as day one of the wedding feast. Now, the bridegroom's arrival would signal the very start of the feast. Uh, And nighttime was common. This is not uncommon. And everything was ready except for the fact that the five foolish bridesmaids had no oil. They had the lamp. They had the mechanism. But they didn't have the oil. Uh, It was effectively thoughtless for them not to have the oil, to not to be prepared. Uh, And so only those who were ready for the ceremony were brought in. This, again, elevates the state of readiness that God is calling us to. In other words, merely having the lamp but not having the oil in the lamp is ineffective for the kingdom of God. All right? You need to be not only have the lamp but have the oil in the lamp and to be ready to walk in when Christ calls you. That's what this is about. Uh, because then the door is shut, and you see here when, when, when God shuts the door, nobody else can open it. You can't go in after the fact, after the door is, is, is shut, and, and ask to have the door open. It doesn't work like that. There is a time when you are called, a time to walk into the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and so it's, this is a powerful explanation of how God looks at faithfulness. This is what it's about. Now, the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids is followed immediately without any interruption by the third and final parable. Um, and it's important. It was not interrupted, even though it appears to be interrupted in the, in the Bible. Uh, but that's as a result of the translations. It was not according to the original scripts. And this is the parable of the talents. Uh, and the, the respective lessons of the three parables are all interwoven and braided together to give us a complete understanding, you see, of what it means to be faithful as we await the return of Christ. That's what this is about. Daily faithfulness, remaining faithful for when God will return. Now, return for the world and return for you. And the parable of the talents is a reminder, you see, that we must keep diligently working while we look for him. And that's what the talents are going to be. And so in contrast to those who are inclined to drop out of life, 
drop out of life when they don't see things coming exactly as they thought. The faithful believer must continue to work and plan his life as if the coming of Jesus is immediate. That's how we live. That's how we walk. So careful, prudent planning is not antithetical to living by faith. Let me repeat that. Careful, prudent planning is not antithetical to living by faith. In fact, living by faith includes careful planning because your faith tells you that Christ is coming. And so if he's coming, it's important to prepare for his coming. So when people say, well, you know, that's antithetical to faith. Faith means you're just waiting for Jesus to come. You're No, it's more than that. My faith tells me I have to be ready. My faith tells me I have to plan and to be ready for his coming in every aspect of life. A failure to plan, in my mind, really recognizes the fact that you don't have any faith. Because if you had faith, you would be prepared for his coming. And that's not an important lesson for you to know. It would be sheer foolishness, sheer foolishness not to plan for his coming. Look what Jesus said in Luke 14. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule it, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. That's from Jesus, okay? Indicating the importance of planning, preparation. You're going to build a tower? Find out how much it's going to cost. Know what the materials are. Be prepared. Have the blueprint. Be ready. Be ready in every way. Plan for it. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to finish it. And so the parable of the talents that we're about to talk about uh, commends faithful and diligent and prudent planning. This is what God wants from us. And so look at Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Notice that. Each according to his ability. To he who has received much, much is expected in return. And that relates to everything in the kingdom of God. If God has poured blessings into your life, beyond what you ever possibly could have deserved. It's because God has a higher calling on your life. You'll be called to accountability. And so you see this here. Um, And so then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and and gained five bags more. So also with the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, let me interrupt the parable and say to you, uh, don't uh, focus on this merely as an issue of financial trust. I want you to think of of this parable in a broader sense of the talents in your life. You understand? The giftedness that God has given you in your life. All the things that God has allowed you to do with your life. 
What are you doing with the giftedness that he has given you? How are you advancing the kingdom of God? Not merely with your treasure, but with your time uh, and with your dedication. All of this relates to this. So when you see the five bags of gold and the two bags of gold, I want you to think about the fact, what am I doing with what he gave me? The bag of gold in my heart, my life. There's nothing greater than your life. How am I advancing God's kingdom with my life? That's what I want you to focus on as I, as I teach this. And so verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And notice that. There's always a settling of the accounts. You know, there's a day of settlement. Christ comes back. God comes back. The accounts must be settled. They're going to be settled for every one of us here. Every one of us are going to have our accounts settled. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. It's like walking to Jesus and saying, Lord, whatever you gave me, I've dedicated my life. I dedicated my life to the kingdom of God. Uh, and the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. That's exactly what you want Jesus to say to you when you get on the other side. You understand? That's the words you want him to say. Well done. I gave you a small amount of things and you advanced the kingdom of God. Well done. I mean, that's the words we want to hear. We don't want to hear, oh, I had such big plans for you, John. I had such big plans for you. You don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Now look at how he talks to the master. And you get a sense of his mindset and his spirit. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. But that's not the way to approach God, is it? I knew you're a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown. And gathering where you have not scattered seed. I mean, where are you going with this? You think this is a good way? To position yourself for your incredible failure? I knew you were hard. I knew you were hard. So I was worried about your hardness. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Here is what. I'm giving you back what you gave to me. And you see how God repudiates this. Don't give me back what I gave you. That's not what the economy of God is about. His master replied, you Wicked, lazy servant. Now look at those words, okay? Look at those words. Now again, this was an example of a parable growing up that I had some difficulty with. I mean, it wasn't like he stole anything, but you see, he did. You understand? He actually did steal from God. That's what stealing from God is when he gives you the giftedness and talents of your life and you sit there in your chair and you do nothing to advance the kingdom of God. Look, this is between you and God, not between you and me. You have to answer to this. 
And so I would say to you, this is great, you're out here on a Monday morning, you're hearing me preach on this, but unless you really take these words and dedicate them to your life and have them resonate in your life and say, God, I'm not going to give you back what you gave me, I'm going to give you far more with my life. You understand? And it's not just material possessions, okay? Yes, it starts with material possessions. Yes, it starts with the fact that everything he has given you, every dollar he has given you is his. And you heard me speak about this before, but I'll say it again when people come up to me about tithing. And yes, I believe in tithing. The Bible is clear about it. And then they'll say to me, well, uh, is it the net or the gross? The net or the gross? The net or the gross? What are you kidding me? You're losing your mind over something that's irrelevant. It's all his. You understand? Every dollar that you have is God's. Amen? Which means how much of his stuff are you going to keep for yourself? You don't talk to me about that. You talk to him. All right? See, here is what belongs back to you. Imagine saying that to God. Here, here's what, here's my life. Just what you gave me, I'm giving it right back to you in the same shape you gave it to me. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You knew that. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. I expect interest. I expect productivity. I don't expect laziness and nothingness. So take the bag of gold. So, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. How about that? Take this guy's bag and give it to the guy who had the 10 bags of gold. Because he knows how to advance the kingdom of God. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even, when they, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell. Okay? Hell. This is sobering. These are three Parables, all linked together, told at the same time, effectively on the same story. And here, in this wealthy man clearly represents Christ. He appoints servants to take charge of his affairs, as he does done with us. God has given us effective charge of his affairs in this world, and we are expected to act as faithful stewards in this world uh, with his resources, with the resources he's given us and with the resources of others. And we're given full authority to manage God's affairs in this world. Uh, and and uh, even a single talent in this story would have been an, an immense amount of money, an immense amount of money. Uh, and so each person is given the authority to manage what God has given them, knowing that God will someday come back and ask for the return. And what you see is, here is the differential in character. Uh, two, two of these men went to work and fulfilled their duty. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, but the other man did not. Uh, and he blamed it on God. He blamed it on God. He literally did nothing to advance the kingdom of God. 
His lack of responsibility guaranteed that the resources given to him in trust would not in turn get any profit at all. So the faithful servants are commended and elevated and given more responsibility. And the, and the one who was reckless and did nothing effectively is consigned to hell. To hell. Uh, and this is precisely how the, the judgment seat of Christ is referred to. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. So you understand, the scriptures are pretty clear about the fact that there are rewards and accountability. Uh, even as we're saved and going to heaven, but we understand this. And so the master's response shows how gracious and generous a man he is. Uh, each of the two servants were given increased responsibility, along with a place of joy and favor. Their reward clearly pictures heaven. Uh, and heaven is not a place, and let me break this to you, heaven is not a place of boredom and inactivity, Okay? Don't think you're going to get to heaven and you're going to get a cloud. Where's my cloud? Let me get my wings. Uh, I'm going to just play golf all day long, right? Where's the food? I know it's got to be one great banquet. Let me break it to you. That's not the way heaven's going to be. Heaven is going to be a place where you're going to be given responsibility. You're going to be given work to advance the kingdom of God. How is it going to work? I don't know, but I'm clear about that. Um, and, and Jesus invokes that image, makes it very clear uh, that those that have advanced the kingdom of God will be given more responsibility. Look, the collective impact of these three parables is a profound exhortation to us regarding how we should all think about the return of the Lord. That's what I want to emphasize to you. This is a profound exhortation, how we have to think about that. On the surface, they seem somewhat different, but they really are not. One, one parable shows the folly of thinking the Lord will not return soon. Uh, the next shows the folly of presuming that, that he will come soon. Uh, and the third shows the importance of remaining faithful regardless of when he returns. But whatever it is, the idea is to be prepared for his coming. All three stories expect us to be ready. All three expose the problem of unbelief and lack of faithfulness. And all of these stories separate us from the world, separate us from unbelievers. And so, folks, what I have to say to you today is leave here ever mindful of the fact that there is a time, a place, and a date when Jesus will return for you. He will return for you. It may come before he returns cumulatively for all of us, but he will return. And when he does, there is accountability, okay? What have you given him? What of what he has entrusted you with your life have you done with your life? Make a commitment today. Make a commitment today to make this the start of the rest of your life for him. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the lessons that you've given us. Lord, you've made it so clear about our responsibility to be prepared for you. And so, Lord, I ask you to make us ever more mindful of that. 
Let this re lesson resonate in our hearts. Let us leave here committed, committing even more fervently to advance your kingdom in the world. Bless our people, protect them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.